1: Good afternoon and welcome. Well. Yesterday, the federal government unveiled a massive aid package. The centerpiece is the new Canada Emergency Response Benefit, which will pay $2,000 a month for four months to workers affected by COVID 19. Now, to be eligible, you have to have earned a minimum of $5,000 in the last year. And this benefit will combine two that were announced last week. Now, last week, they directed one at people who do not qualify for employment insurance and the other to people who do. The thing is, in the first week or so, 10 days, there were a million employment insurance claims and the system was hopelessly backed up. So this benefit will come through the Canada Revenue Agency and I guess the question is, will that work better? Trudeau is saying people can apply through an online and telephone system and they're aiming to have it ready by April the 6th, and once you apply, you can expect the money pretty quickly. Now, um, one of the ideas behind this is that employers don't have to officially sever people. All they have to do is to say they can't pay them at this time, and uh, they can collect the benefits. So, is that enough to keep businesses running? We'll get to your calls shortly. Now let's go to Pierre Polievre, who is the Conservative MP for Carleton and the Conservative Finance Critic. Hi, Pierre.
2: Good to be with you. Uh,
1: So what do you make of this benefit?
2: Uh, Well, listen, the government had to do something, something uh, revolutionary with respect to EI, because the system was not designed to process a million claims in a week. Uh, um, Normally, uh, they get about twenty-five or 26,000 claims a week. Uh, This time, they got a million, which is probably, I'm going to estimate, about 10 times bigger than the previous all-time record. Uh, So it would not have been possible to process EI for all of those people. Furthermore, there are a lot of self-employed people or gig economy workers who don't have EI. They don't pay into it and therefore can't draw out of it. Uh, they have lost 100% of their income through no fault of their own as a result of the corona crisis and this benefit is designed to reach them as well it's not that the the terms of the program are, are not obviously sustainable for the long run so the government will have to decide how long this benefit will be available but for those who are immediately unemployed or who've lost income as a result of the corona crisis uh, it should provide them with some Way to put food on the table in the interim.
1: Do you have confidence uh, uh, that the Canada Revenue Agency is going to be able to handle the volume of claims? The government has estimated that four million people are going to be thrown out of work because of this.
2: Yeah, it's. Uh, I can't. I can't answer that question. Uh, what I can say is that CRA does process uh, well well over ten million uh, tax filings a year. So, and they're able to produce all of the tax refunds based on those filings, usually within weeks or a couple of months. And you, your listeners will know from their own experience, usually they file and they get their refund within you know six weeks max. So, CRA does have the capacity to turn around checks and direct deposits on short notice, um, and uh, CRA administers the Canada Child the the the, the child benefit payments. Uh, to that go to uh, millions of families i think around 3 million families get that benefit so they do have the expertise and the capability to transact these payments uh the question is whether or not the government uh, led by the cabinet is is competent enough to to lead them to do that
1: uh, well if they have the systems and they've uh, and they've ordered them to do it um you know um how does that play in
2: well, they, they do have the systems are there. We all know it. We uh, CRA uh, is uh, it's always the case that the tax collector is the most the tax collection body is the most efficient department in any government uh, for obvious reasons, because the gov- that's how the government pays its bill. So CRA should be able to do this. Uh, let's see if they if they pull it off. A lot of people are standing by waiting for that money so that they can pay their bills.
1: Uh, the other thing, as I look at this, so they they're telling people it will take one or two days by e transfer and up to ten days by post um, Do you have any concerns? I mean right now the c r a offers direct deposit i 'm not aware that it offers e transfer and uh you know i'm i'm wondering about a potential for fraud
2: sorry your your question is whether or not they can do e-transfer or, or direct uh, deposit?
1: Well, no, I know they already do direct deposit. Right. I don't think they do e-transfer. And I'm wondering if uh, e-transfers for that many people is secure.
2: Yeah, I would be very, very, very worried about that. Uh, the, you know, e-transfers are done through email. Yeah. So, you know, if somebody's email is, is filed incorrectly or, or someone manages to call in and and give the wrong uh, give give their own email for someone else's account they might end up getting someone else's uh, benefit but uh, you know I don't know why they wouldn't just do direct deposit that's what we we do we've done in the past the child benefit is done through direct deposit people get their tax refunds that way um, almost everyone has uh, the ability to receive direct deposit so I think that they sh- uh, my advice would be to stick with it, it if it ain't broke don't fix it
1: well, yeah, that's what I was looking at. I was shocked because, uh, again, uh, the e-transfer with the amount of, of hacking and, um, you know, while we're in this, two of the the biggest scams now, one is a CRA scam and, uh, and several versions of that, and the other there are now starting to pop up COVID-19 scams.
2: Exactly. There will be uh, all manner of... Uh, fraudsters out there trying to stuff their pockets. Um, you know, as Macaulay wrote, wherever you fling the honey there, the flies gather. So you can imagine there will be many flies uh, trying to uh, raid the honey that uh, the government is making available. Um, that's uh, just the reality, unfortunately, uh, of the world. But we uh, need to stand on guard against it, and the Canadians need to watch carefully to make sure they get the benefits they deserve, and that none of them get, uh, get uh, bypassed.
1: What about business, especially small business? Um, Yesterday, I was talking to representatives of the small business sector, and also the manufacturing sector, and and the uh, mantra that that they are repeating, saying they wanted direct wage subsidies. Uh, I gather that this has a uh, well it's it's a different way of going about this where they're saying you don't have to sever your employees you can just say you can't pay them and and we'll pay them for you Um, is that enough to help businesses last through this
2: well the 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 benefit the government is providing is not a wage subsidy it is it is it is income replacement so it it has no uh, there's no requirement for the employee to continue working in order to receive the benefit and therefore it doesn't in any way link to their job. So the, the uh, look, big businesses are getting are going to get a bailout. It's clear the government has stated that, and households have received some money, but small businesses have effectively received nothing. Uh, there's a uh, a minuscule ten percent thirteen hundred and seventy five dollar per employee wage subsidy, which will mean nothing to the vast majority of small businesses. Uh, and there's they're, they're telling. EDC to try and lend out five billion in cash flow loans that I don't believe will ever get out the door, and the terms of the, of these loans are really not very favorable. So effectively, small business is the sector that has been completely forgotten. And I think that I think this this crisis will literally wipe the small business community right off the map. The other thing I worry about is that the government, the, the small and medium sized businesses, all go bankrupt. The government bails out the big guys, and the big guys use all the cash from the government to buy out the little guys. And that's what's going to happen in the oil sector. You mark my words. If they, you know, they obviously are going to come to, rest, to the rescue of the uh, large employers in the oil sector, but the small and medium-sized companies that do the, the, the service wells or have small rigs with ten employees uh, or a couple, you know, five or six wells they're all going to go bankrupt and they're going to the their assets are going to go on the auction block. The big companies are then going to use government money, bailout money to snap up those assets at huge discounts. So I think we're going to be, we're going to end up the way it's going. We risk ending up with uh, our, our small business community completely wiped out and all of their assets in the hands of big uh, multinational uh, publicly listed corporations.
1: Uh do you have a thought of what should be done to help small business and medium-sized business?
2: Yes. Uh, what they should do is refund all the GST that small businesses have collected in the last year, just refund it to them. Um, so if you're a small, bi- like and, you know, I'll give you an example. I, I have a guy in my riding who owns a gym. They collected about h- half a million dollars in revenue. So it's not a lot of money. They have five or six employees and, and, uh, if they got, were able to get back the GST they've collected, that'd be 25 grand. That uh, 25 grand will pay the rent. It will pay the utilities. Uh, it will pay the, make the mortgage payment and it will keep them going for keep them existing for another month or so, uh, even if their doors are closed. But that would be the simplest and most efficient way to send businesses some money. Um, and if the provinces were to do likewise and give back their portion of the the HST, then it would be, you know, 12, 13 percent of revenues, in which case that business I just described would get more like 60 grand. So I, I think uh, that is the simplest way to put cash back in the hands of small businesses. Let them get the cash that they collected uh, for the government and keep that so that they can pay their bills until this crisis is over.
1: And uh, has that been floated? Has there been any reaction to that idea?
2: Well, conservatives have put it forward. We we pushed that uh, with the government. Uh, we put, I put a press release uh, about a week ago asking for exactly that measure. And uh, I'm going to reconvene the Finance Committee, uh, which is empowered by a motion passed in the House this week, uh, to... Uh, hold hearings and emergency hearings to get uh, the, some small businesses uh, in, the, in, the, in the room. And I'm going to put forward a motion uh, for all the ember, members of the Finance Committee to vote on uh, to refund GST to uh, all small businesses for the last year.
1: And, and how do you define a small business?
2: Any business that's eligible for the small business tax deduction, which means that they have less than $10 million of taxable capital.
1: Okay. Um, a couple things before we let you go. Now, back to this business about one of the things that, that businesses said is that, w- and w- when they were making their case for this wage subsidy, they said, we don't want to let our workers go because then it'll just take longer to tool up and to get back to speed. Now, it would seem that this measure might have that effect because what they're saying is you don't have to let your people go for them to collect money. You you just leave them, you know, on not on the payroll, but on, you know, on the books and, and the government will pay them for up to four months if you can't. So is there a value in that?
2: Yes. Um, I'll give the government credit. I, I do think there is some value in it. It is simple, but it does not, it is not linked to the workplace. So if I'm if I work for a restaurant, for example, and I've lost my wage, the emergency benefit will come to me uh, regardless as of whether or not I go in and put in some hours at the restaurant. Yeah. So so in other words, a lot of um, a lot of businesses will say it's going to be hard to get get people to work because we're not actually paying them any wages. And, and I, to the workers credit, I, I don't blame you. If you're not getting a wage, why would you, why would you want to work? It's not. It's not fair. Uh, so, th- th- if there is a flaw in it, is that there is there the idea? That Bill Morneau is claiming that this is a form of a wage subsidy is false. It's not a wage subsidy. It's a an income replacement, a justifiable one, but it's not a wage subsidy. Well, I, um,
1: and, I, I'm sorry. I understood it's only for people who can't work, and that if 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 you are working, your company will pay you, but. Well, no. Well, what, they,
2: what, what the way the minister described it to us is that it is for people who've lost their income. So you can lose your income without losing your job. If your boss says, "Listen, I have to reduce. I'm going to keep you on as an employee, but I'm reducing your hours to zero, then you lose your income, but you haven't lost your job. And those people, as you pointed out in your introduction, have not been severed. Will be eligible for the benefit. Benefit. The employer could then say, listen would you like to come in and do some some yeah. hours you know some maintenance work some other stuff that can be done in the interim while there are no customers um, and there is no there's very precious little assistance for a business to do that there's a small wage subsidy of ten percent but that's probably not enough for a business that's empty of ca- whose account is empty to cash in the last month to to to, to 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 pay people anything to come in
1: Okay, I have a final question, and it's uh, it's because I've had a lot of questions from our listeners, uh, of many of whom are older, and this is uh, people who are in their seventies. They're already collecting their CPP, in some cases their OAS, and they have part time jobs to supplement their income, which they no longer have because of this. Are they eligible for this as well?
2: Well, according to the government's description, I don't. We don't have all the terms published. And there was no legislation with this, so I can't give you a firm final legal answer. But the government's description of the benefit has been the following. If you earn more than $5,000 in the 12 months preceding your application, you are eligible. So if there are some asterisks and exceptions to that rule, then they have not said so to my knowledge. So my my um, answer, shooting from the hip here, is that you should be eligible but the government may attach some other conditions that I'm not aware of.
1: Okay, uh, Pierre Ever, thanks so much. Uh, we'll probably be talking to you again. And I have to tell you, I already have a call waiting from somebody who says uh, he thinks your HST idea makes a lot of sense.
2: Excellent. Well, we've got at least two people who agree on it
1: now. Okay. Thank you very much. Okay. Bye. Okay. Thank you. Bye-bye. Now, also yesterday, the province announced a $17 billion aid package to fight COVID-19. Uh, most of it dedicated to beefing up our health care system. There are also measures to help the most vulnerable among us, and that is elderly residents in long-term care. And with that, let's bring in Dr. Marilee Fullerton, Ontario's Minister of Long-Term Care. Dr. Fullerton, thanks so much for being with us. Thank you, Libby. Uh, so, first of all, can you uh, go through exactly what measures are being put in to help uh, nursing homes? And, and we've already seen a few outbreaks in, in nursing yeah. homes, which, of course, are concerning.
3: Yes, extremely concerning. And, uh, you know, we've been acting since the beginning of this to really you know, build a iron fence around our long term care homes and protect Ontarians uh, in long term care, the most vulnerable people of Ontario. And so, really, we uh, started with active screening. Uh, We made sure that there were resources to provide the screening and and really look at how we could contain and keep it out of long-term care homes. And so we've been working on that for the last few weeks. So Wednesday's uh, announcement about the $17 billion in new supports, uh, much of it going to... uh, to uh, a healthcare in the, the 3.3 billion dollars, but for long-term care specifically, there really are two two groups of funding. One is uh, first the containment and the response, and the uh, second component is the emergency capacity. And we know that long-term care was at 99, uh, you know, percent capacity going into this, and same with our hospitals over in many cases over 100 percent capacity. So there's 243 million dollars that is going to be invested in long term care, really to look at uh, that capacity and the screening and infection control staffing issues, and the supplies that they need. And uh, so the the containment and the response, there's about $25 million there. Uh, that is to make sure that we have the prevention, like I mentioned, the active screening, the supplies that are needed, uh, and the operational costs associated with that, the, the additional staffing that's needed. And we have already flowed half of $50 million commitment to that, and that other half will be coming out shortly. Um, we want to make sure that our homes are supported, that our staff, are supported so that our residents can be supported and uh, each home will be receiving about uh, right now they've already received almost forty thousand dollars right away and another thirty seven thousand five hundred will be coming in april so the money money is flowing we understand the urgency of this uh and we have been working since day one to put these measures in place you know about the state of emergency that was declared in Ontario on March the seventeenth, and we have issued our own emergency orders so that our homes can be able to deal with some of the issues that are evolving. And I, I want to say this is unprecedented in the history of Ontario. Never in my life, in most of our lives, have we ever seen anything, anything like this. So it's unprecedented, and and also an additional um, eighty-eight point four three million dollars, really to help with staffing.
1: Okay, Dr. Um, Fullerton, yes, I have a couple of questions, yeah, if, if you will allow me. Yeah, please. please um, so, we had a staffing shortage even before this yeah. happened. Yeah. We've also heard about uh, support workers in long-term care getting sick. And, yeah. you know, given that, that this is a likely area where you can have an outbreak, uh, you know, how if, if there's already a staffing shortage... Uh, you know, even with extra money, how do you propose to get the extra mm-hmm. staff? And and while I'm at it, the, the same for the supplies. There's a shortage of supplies. You know, we might have money to buy the supplies, but the supplies, finding them is a problem. Mm-hmm.
3: And, and and certainly I've been on, on the phone constantly, uh, pretty much, you know, 20 hours a day with homes, looking at the supply situation, looking at the staffing issue and understanding from their perspective. So, so hearing really from the front line, and those are really two important, uh, absolutely critical areas that we are addressing through emergency orders. And I, I can just tell you that looking at the PPEs or uh, personal protective equipment, uh, we are working again round the clock to source more. We have worked with the federal government in terms of finding uh, more supplies. We've got 12 million more um, more gloves coming in, uh, 1 million more N95 and 6 million more surgical masks. And that's just the start. And in fact, we are retooling our uh, manufacturing here in Ontario to address this because, as you know, there is a global competition for these supplies. And so our government working round the clock desperately to make sure that we can provide the supplies that are needed. So the numbers that I mentioned to you, uh, the Minister of Health announced uh, just a few days ago that these are on their way. And we're working with public health and what we call the command table that consists of Ontario Health, uh, the public health, the Ministry of Health, and uh, the deputy from long-term care and others to, to continually be addressing these concerns. So I want to assure all Ontarians that this is being worked on and that everyone is stepping up. So whether it's our manufacturers in Ontario, whether it's companies donating, just to make sure that we have the supplies that are needed. And my long-term care homes uh, that I've been in touch with have been telling me that they have enough supply for now. But we understand the urgency of, of this situation. What about
1: what about finding staff? I mean, some staff yeah. are getting yeah. sick, staff yeah. are concerned. How is that going? Absolutely. And, and obviously, this is a critical, urgent situation. And that's why
3: we declared the emergency order that we did just a few days ago, to give homes the flexibility to be able to um, have to move quickly to find staff. We have a whole set up, again, through the command table with public health, Ontario health, uh, and we're making sure that there are homes where they're having difficulties, that they are supported, uh, the safety and well-being of our
1: loved ones in long-term care and staff. So that is government's priority. But where are you finding staff if there's a shortage? I I mean...
3: Yeah, so and that's what we've been uh urgently discussing with all our um all the uh, agencies that are representative agencies and the homes themselves, really looking at how we can make sure that we can redeploy staff, that we can bring potentially retired nurses, retired PSWs, and some homes even have, you know, website buttons where uh their retired PSWs from those homes can come back and they're getting they're getting uptake from that. Also we look at other sectors that might be able to be trained quickly um, to be able to come into the uh, long-term care homes and support. We need this pipeline. We recognize that. And we're pulling out all the all the stops to make sure that that staffing... Are you upping their positive. pay? That's something that, you know, we've looked at um, Loblaws, what Loblaws has done. Um, everything will be considered. Everything's on the table. The premier has said... He will do everything possible to protect residents and staff in long-term care homes, and as the the Minister of Long-Term Care, I will do absolutely everything possible. You know, we are also recognizing the you know the capacity issues in long-term care as well as hospitals. So we're working um, with groups that have concepts of how we can move our um, patients out of hospital and into the spaces we have in long-term care, the ones that exist, but also how we expand capacity. And so, you know, I I really pay tribute to everyone who's out there, whether it's retirement homes offering up capacity, whether it's long-term care homes saying, you know, we stopped our group day programs and we can accommodate eight more people. But this is a coordinated effort through Ontario Health, the Ministry of Health, the Public Health, uh, our ministry, my deputy, uh, everyone is working around the clock to make sure that everything, everything possible um, can be done. And there's the time for talk uh, is gone. There is no time for talk. Uh, we have a sense of urgency on this. Glad and, to hear that. Yeah, we have an absolute sense of urgency good. and no
1: time for for planned polit- political games. Okay. Um, thank you very much for that. And we'll probably be checking back with that. And, and good luck with that. Thank you. Well, day and night, we are working on this. Thank you for your time, Linda. Okay. Bye-bye. Thank you, Thank you Dr. Merrilee Fullerton. Uh, okay. I am going to take a call from Pat before we go to break. He's been uh, waiting patiently to comment on what Pierre Polievra had to say.
2: I thought his um, suggestion makes so much sense. And I'm saying the one with regard to refund of HST or GST because they've got the numbers there's going to be very little chance of fraud with that. I mean, all we have to do is look at what the federal government has done with their Phoenix payroll system, which has cost something like $400, $500 million because they didn't think it through. With government, you've got to keep it simple. And so I fully appreciate it. I think it's a brilliant idea that the man came up with.
1: Okay, you know what? It, it sounds pretty good to me, and, but I'm not an accountant. Pat, thank you for that comment, and I'm sure that uh, Pierre Polyevra appreciated it as well.
2: Thank you.
0: You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio.